1: On the first Sunday of Advent, uh, a passage that is traditionally read is from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. A shoot will grow up from the stump of Jesse. A branch will sprout from his roots. The Lord's Spirit will rest upon him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of planning and strength, a spirit of knowledge, and fear of the Lord. He will delight in fearing the Lord. He won't judge by appearances nor decide by hearsay. He will judge the needy with righteousness and decide with equity for those who suffer in the land. He will strike the violent with the rod of his mouth. By the breath of his lips, he will kill the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, the belt around his hips. And faithfulness the belt around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. And the leopard will lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion will feed together. And a little child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together. And a lion will eat straw like an ox. And nursing child will play over the snake's hole. Toddlers will reach right over The serpents den. They won't harm or destroy anywhere on my holy mountain. The earth will surely be filled with the knowledge of the Lord, just as the water covers the sea. On that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a signal to the peoples. The nations will seek him out and his dwelling will be glorious. The word of God for the people of God. So I've been uh, in a number of conversations lately, different people, different contexts, but the same topic seems to keep coming up. A number of different people have mentioned that they've noticed that it seems like homes, families have decorated for Christmas earlier this year. Has anybody noticed that? Now, I don't know whether it's true or not, but a lot of people seem to observe it. I feel like I've observed it. We expect, of course, the stores to get Christmas stuff in earlier and earlier. I think Hobby Lobby and Michael's had it in August this year. We expect the commercials to start in October, right? So we know that people are itching to get the season moving. But this feels different. This feels more personal. If I'm going to interpret it, I would say that it looks like people are yearning for more of Christmas this year. Or maybe not just more of Christmas, but just more Christmas. More, as in longer, we just need it. And I can't help but wonder if any of that might have to do with just the trauma we've been through over the last couple of years with this pandemic. That maybe we just are a little more desperate than usual for some light. And some joy. And a reason to celebrate. Well... Technically, in the church, it's not Christmas yet, even though Hobby Lobby started in August, even though people in my neighborhood started, it seemed like, almost as soon as uh, Halloween was over. Technically, it's not Christmas yet. In the church world, Christmas doesn't start until the 24th, Christmas Eve, and it only lasts for 12 days, thus the song, right, the 12 days of Christmas, Technically, today starts a different season, a season related to Christmas, but not Christmas. This is the season of Advent. Advent is four Sundays. Each Sunday has a theme. And Advent is that time of year that we try to imagine. We activate our imaginations and try to imagine what a world would have been like without Christ. We try to travel back in time with the people of the Old Testament to a time where people walked in darkness and longed for God to intervene. Advent does relate to Christmas. They're connected kind of like the same way that Lent is connected to Easter. Advent means arrival. And so this is a season that we anticipate the arrival of Christ. We anticipate, we look forward to, we expect His coming at Christmas. Thomas Merton wrote, In Advent we celebrate the coming and indeed the presence of Christ in our world. We witness to Christ's presence even in the midst of all its inscrutable problems and tragedies. We witness to Christ's presence even in the midst of all of its inscrutable problems and and tragedies. Well, we've been through a lot. And so maybe it's no surprise at all that we want more Christmas this year, more Christmas joy, more Christmas celebration, earlier and hopefully for longer, perhaps. Now, this time of year, we read from the Old Testament. As we imagine a world anticipating the coming of a Savior, we turn to Old Testament prophets who spoke sort of mysteriously about a day in the future when God would move through a particular individual, a Messiah, an anointed one. I just read these words. The Lord's spirit will rest upon him. We interpret that to mean Christ. A spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of planning and strength, a spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. He will delight in fearing the Lord. He won't judge by appearances nor decide by hearsay, he will judge the needy with righteousness and decide with equity for those who suffer in the land. He will strike the violent with the rod of his mouth. By the breath of his lips, he'll kill the wicked. Righteousness will be the, the belt around his hips, and faithfulness the belt around his waist. This is imagining someone who God would send who would move decisively in the world to bring about change. That the Messiah would come and usher in a new reality. But in this passage in particular, it almost seems as the Messiah's arrival comes as a surprise. Like we weren't really expecting it. The metaphor being a a new living branch emerging from what looked to be a dead stump. Isaiah 11.1 A shoot will grow up from the stump of Jesse. A branch will sprout from his roots. Jesse, of course, being the father of David, Jesus being a descendant of David. A shoot, a new branch, a living possibility will emerge from a dead stump. I don't know how many of you are from Orlando. I grew up in Orlando uh, near Big Tree Park. I don't know if you know Big Tree Park on Thornton uh, I lived just a couple blocks away, so I spent a lot of my childhood riding my bicycle over to Big Tree Park and, and climbing in Big Tree... Uh, Big tree is thought to be 350 to 400 years old. Some think that big tree might have sprouted right about the time George Washington was born. It's uh, the oldest tree in Orlando. It's enormous with branches climbing straight up high into the sky. But also a a lot of them nicely bowing to the ground so a young Vance could climb up in them pretty easily. And I did pretty often. 350 plus year old tree, that's an old tree. And I remember there was chatter when I was young, as a child, that they were worried about Big Tree. They noticed that it was starting to decline and show some sign of disease. And so there were a number of mitigation efforts to keep Big Tree living. But I lived with that as a child, thinking that one of these days they're going to cut this Big Tree down and how sad that will be. Now, thankfully, Big Tree is still alive. Maybe I'll take my grandchildren to play there someday, I hope. But you get that image, right? This great, big, glorious tree that you can enjoy. Imagine if it was cut to its stump because there was no life left in it. That's the image we're being given today. A shoot will grow up from the stump of Jesse. A branch will sprout from his roots. Now, oftentimes when you cut a tree down to the stump, it's dead. Right, that's why you cut it down. The tree is dead. And sometimes even if the tree isn't dead, that's the final blow. You cut it down. That's all there is. But sometimes, and maybe you've experienced this, sometimes you can cut a tree all the way down to the stump, but if there's sufficient life still in the roots, what happens? The tree comes back. Well, sometimes we pay to have the, the stump ground, right, so that it doesn't come back. But the possibility is there. If there's life in the roots, surprisingly, it seems like a branch will grow from the old trunk, the old stump. Now, this is just a metaphor. We don't actually have in the Old Testament a a stump somewhere that came back to life. This is just a metaphor, right? But the metaphor is meant to, to kind of awaken. It's meant to symbolize the despair of the situation. In this time of history, in the Old Testament, in the days of Isaiah, the people of God, Israel, had been struck down. They had not been faithful to God. They had been warned. And then came this invading army, the Babylonians, that destroyed them, captured them, pulled them away as slaves to foreign lands. The stump is a symbol of despair. Hopes and dreams were lost. They died. What, what they thought was possible for God's chosen people, the Israelites, now seemed lost forever. But one of the things that we should always know, anytime we're talking about God, anytime that we're having spiritual conversation, that when what we see looks like a dead end, when what we see looks like death, when what we see looks impossible, is a great moment for God to do something we'd never expect. Spiritually speaking, there's always more going on than we can see with our naked eyes. John Claypool is an Episcopal priest who lost his son. He wrote a book on hope, and reflecting on that loss and hope, he writes, humanly speaking, despair is presumptuous. It is saying something about the future that we have no right to say because we have not been there yet. And we do not know enough. Week before last, I went to a a memorial service at Stetson University. Uh, Just the last couple of weeks, uh, a young woman, a Methodist, uh, took her own life at Stetson on a Sunday morning. And so I went to be there for the memorial service, our campus minister uh, gave the, the message. And she said something that was deeply profound. She said, there are no answers to explain why this young woman did this. There are no answers that will make this feel okay. There's no, There's nothing redeeming about her death. But, Perhaps there's something redeemable remaining from what's left behind. Perhaps there's something redeemable remaining from what's left behind. Pastor Howard Thurman once wrote this. It's a little bit on the longer side. All around us, worlds are dying and new worlds are being born. All around us, life is dying and life is Is being born. The fruit ripens on the tree. The roots are silently at work in the darkness of the earth against a time when there shall be new lives, fresh blossoms, green fruit. Such is the growing edge. It is the extra breath from the exhausted lung, the one more thing to try when all else has failed, the upward reach of life when weariness closes in upon all endeavor. This is the basis of hope in moments of despair. The incentive to carry on when times are out of joint and men have lost their reason. The source of confidence when worlds crash and dreams whiten into ash. The birth of a child. Life's most dramatic answer to death. This is the growing edge incarnate. Look well to the growing edge. I wonder, what's the growing edge in your life? The growing edge is that that unexpected place where God can move, the place we've given up on. What's the growing edge in your life? What's the growing edge in my life? Or First Church, as we look to a new year and as we strive to kind of work our way out of all the ways this pandemic has impacted us as a church, what's First Church's Growing edge. Are we looking for the growing edges where only God can work? A shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse. A branch will sprout from his roots. As I mentioned before, each Sunday of the four Sundays of Advent, there's an assigned theme. Today the theme is hope. Hope is one of those words we know, but in a spiritual context has, I think, a much deeper meaning. Hope is forward-looking. Hope looks toward what can be beyond what currently is, a stump, no life, but the possibility of a branch emerging. Hope is about desire, it's about longing, it's about hunger, it's about passion, Hope anticipates what can be. It expects what can be. In fact, I would say that's a pretty good definition of Advent. A season of expectation. Knowing that Christ has already come. And we look to his coming with hope. Hope imagines. Hope dreams. Hope envisions. Unfortunately, hope often must be born. And is often tested in times of darkness. If we're not going through a struggle, why might we hope? Romans 8, 24 through 25 says, we're saved in hope. If we see what we hope for, that isn't hope. Who hopes for what they already see? But if we hope for what we don't see, we wait for it with patience. If we hope for what we don't see, we wait for it with patience. Everybody that's really good with patience, please raise your hand. Oh, good. <laughs> I, nah, that was, that was not real i'm terrible at patience i'm terrible if people come to me to teach me how to be more patient I'm like no never ask for that because patience only comes through hanging on through struggle hope I and mean, patience is hard how many of us have grown impatient with this pandemic like i'm tired of waiting right i'm tired of waiting for life to get back to normal. Heck, I got impatient just trying to do a little Christmas shopping last night for about an hour, right? Patience is hard, and yet, Scripture tells us all the time, if you want to have a relationship with God, you're going to have to learn to operate according to God's timing, not yours. Second Peter 3.8 says, With the Lord, a single day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a single day. You ever waited on God? Ever gotten frustrated waiting on God? I mean, theologically, we can say God's timing is perfect. That's the right answer. But if you read the scripture carefully, God's timing is generally slow. If you want God to move, have a seat. This might take a while. God calls Abraham and Sarah, an old childless couple in the book of Genesis, says, you are going to be the parents of a nation. It took 25 years for baby Isaac to show up. 25 years later. The Israelite slaves in Egypt were in slavery for many centuries before God heard their cry and sent Moses to deliver them. He removes them from Egypt. He's heading to the promised land, but decides you guys need to wander in the wilderness for 40 years to work out some issues. One of the most common lines in the book of Psalms is the simple question, How long, O Lord? How long will you make me endure this? How long before you act? How long will you allow my enemies to prosper? And then along comes a prophet Isaiah and a prophet Jeremiah and others who speak about a coming Messiah hundreds of years before his birth. God moves in God's timing. God moves often moves much slower than we're comfortable with. I think that's why the Bible says, if you want to be in a relationship with this God, you've got to learn patience. Or other things like endurance, perseverance, long-suffering. The Bible talks about these things over and over. Why? Because we really tend to be bad at them. But they are essentially spiritual qualities. Henry Nowen writes, our spiritual life is a life in which we wait. Actively present in the moment, expecting that new things will happen to us, new things that are far beyond our own imagination or prediction. Hope is future-oriented. Hope sees beyond the difficulties of today. It imagines that the current hardship, the current difficult reality, will give way and God will intervene. But I'm beginning to be convinced that hope isn't just about the future. I mean, we think of hope that way, right? I hope things will get better. I hope that we have a great Christmas. I hope that the, the pandemic is coming to end. It's all very future-oriented and often pretty specific what we hope for. Increasingly, I'm convinced that hope is meant for this moment. Oftentimes when I'm unable to see what God is doing, often when I'm unable to know what the outcome will be, if we think of hope that way, it becomes a present, active trust that God is with me and that God is working deep below the surface in ways that I can't imagine and yet I'm confident is happening. Hope is more than a fairy tale. It's more than wishing on a shooting star. It's more than blowing out candles on a cake. It's more than just hoping for the best. Hope is rooted in a deep faith and a God who is always, always working. Hope isn't fluffy. Hope is conviction. It's believing that there's always life in the roots even when the stump seems dead. It's looking past. The reality of the moment It's resilience. I'm going to hold on to my faith no matter what my circumstances might be. It's believing in possibilities that are currently hidden from view. Oftentimes, the substance of our hope has to be in things we can't see. Sometimes hope is subterranean like a root is beneath a stump. Episcopal Bishop Michael Curry says, hope happens when reality is altered by a new possibility. And isn't that what Isaiah is talking about? That there's a new possibility. You see a dead stump, I see a new branch. There's a new possibility happening. And Isaiah goes on beyond the metaphor of just the the stump and the branch. He says that there will come a day through a particular child when the wolf will live with the lamb The leopard will lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young will feed together and a little child will lead them. Do you get the image? It's a world at peace. We'll talk about that more next week. The cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together. A lion will eat straw like an ox. A nursing child will play over the snake's hole. Toddlers will reach right over the serpent's den. They won't harm or destroy anywhere on the holy mountain. The earth will surely be filled with the knowledge of the Lord just as the water covers the sea. Isaiah saw it. Even though we don't yet live into that reality fully, Isaiah saw it. He hoped for it. Do we? Do we hope for a better world? Do we hope that God, even in the midst of our difficult situation? all the brokenness that we live in do we have hope that God's not done yet what do you need more hope for today what part of your life do you need more hope and what's only possible by God's divine intervention do you need hope for the state of the world for the pandemic the omicron variant global warming world peace Or maybe you need hope for something a little closer to home. The political divide in our nation. Ongoing racial injustice. Problems with the economy. Too many people hungry or homeless or both. Or maybe you need hope for something much closer to home. Maybe it's problems at work. Maybe it's challenges within your family. Maybe it's challenges within your own heart. Depression, grief, maybe addiction. Is there anything at this moment in your life that feels hopeless? That feels like an old dead stump? The message of Advent and Christmas is no matter what your circumstances, no matter how dark the darkness seems, never lose hope. Never lose hope that God is with us. He proved it. He sent a son to live among us. Never lose hope that there's always the possibility and promise of a new world, a new beginning, a new possibility. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're struggling with, a shoot will grow up from the stump of Jesse. A branch will sprout from his roots. The Lord's spirit will rest upon him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of planning and strength, a spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. Never lose hope. Let's pray. So, Lord, for each of my friends who are here today, I I don't know what they're individually struggling with. I know some. But we all have our burdens, we all have our challenges, we all have our dark moments, our dark days, our dark seasons. Lord, restore hope in us. In this room, may you find people of hope who believe in you, who put their faith and trust in your work in the world, especially as you revealed it through the birth of your son. Awaken hope in us, Lord. Make us people of hope. Make us people of expectant hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: We hope you enjoyed the podcast and that you will listen again in the future.